are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. What a blessing to be able to share a message on Canada Day. I'm excited. <laughs> well, this morning, I really, well, first like, off, I guess I'll pray and uh, go from there. Well, Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for Canada. God, I thank you for this message that is going to uh, be spoken this morning. And God, I just pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts God, that it would challenge us, Lord God, not only to, to want to know you more, God, but to take action in our lives. Lord God, to take a thought and make it into something real, something tangible that we can do and, and see fruit in in our life. So God, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I wanted to talk to you guys about following Jesus. Following Jesus. And Sometimes when people come to know the Lord, they realize that there's a bunch of things that Christians do. And this morning, my first thing that I wanted to talk about is how Christianity and following Jesus, that is not a formula, but that it's a relationship. That yes, there's deeds, there's things that we do as Christians that are things that we're commanded to do through the Bible. But it's not about the formula. It's not about a systematic way of doing things to perform for God or to perform for others, but it's walking with God. And I, know, I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but there have most definitely been times in my spiritual life when I've set out to do something and failed. Has anyone here that's ever been like, you know what, I want to start reading my Bible every single day. I'm going to wake up one hour before I normally would and start reading my Bible. Well, for some of you, you might notice, well, that day your alarm clock doesn't go off, something happens. And then the next day, you, you know, you get up and then, you know, you read your Bible and it's all good. And then the next day, you're kind of falling asleep while you're reading your Bible. And then the third day, you've forgotten about it altogether, that you even set to do that. And... I heard a quote from Michael Iaconelli that really stood out to me. It said, right now, the only consistency in my life is my inconsistency. Who I am and who I want to be are not very close together. I'm not doing very well at the living a consistent life thing. Have any of you guys ever felt like that? I'm not doing very well at living that consistent life thing. Because we all know that life happens. We all know that sometimes we're going to screw up. We all know sometimes we're going to set our mind to do something and fail. Sometimes we know that no matter how hard we try, sometimes we're just at times unable to do certain things because of schedules, because of the way that we've designed our life. And uh, this morning, I just wanted to touch you guys about following Jesus. And that it is about relationship. And I remember when I was growing up, and I know there was a lot of things around the house that we were expected to do that, of course, I always did. The first time I was asked. And, right, just like all your children. And 
There most definitely were times that I did not do everything exactly when I was asked and how I was supposed to. And even though I'd sometimes get in trouble, I never doubted my parents loved me. I knew that they loved me. And I knew that my love for my parents and their love for me was not based on how well I could perform. Because as a little baby, you know, them wiping my dirty bum, I didn't do anything to deserve love at that time except exist. And God's, you know, God sees us the same way. He just looks down on us and says, I love you, just like a little baby. And there are times that we are completely helpless, times that we're just, just there. and We don't even know what to do, what to say, what, how to act, but God loves us. And uh, God has put people in churches, and God has a plan for the church to move out in these days. And uh, his plan A is the church. And his plan B is the church. And his plan C is the church. And his fellowship, it's, it's amazing to be part of a church, be part of the body of Christ, where we can come together and encourage each other and walk with each other and worship God together. There's a quote from the book of Sacred Romance by Brent Curtis and John Eldridge that I also read recently. And it said, from one religious camp, we're told that what God wants is obedience or sacrifice or adherence to the right doctrines or morality. Those are the answers given by conservative churches. The more therapeutic churches say no. God is after contentment and happiness or something else along those lines. He is concerned about all these things, of course, but they are not his primary concern. What he's after is us. Our laughter, our dreams, our fears, our hearts of hearts. See, God is not looking for us to perform for him. God does not need us to make him feel good. When we screw up, it's not a reflection on God's character because he created us. And sometimes, I know I've fallen into that trap where I felt like a bad Christian. You know, I've set out to do X, Y, and Z. I halfway did X. I didn't even get close to Y. And don't even, get, don't even talk to me about Z. Oh my goodness, didn't even come close. But I've become to realize that Those things, even though the deeds and the things that we do are important, they're not God's primary concern because I can go out and do all good things. But if I don't have the right heart motivation, if I'm not doing it out of love, then the Bible says I'm doing it in total vain. It has no eternal significance. Have you guys ever noticed that church people can be a little weird? Everyone look around, look at the person next to you and say, You're a little weird. And I turn and look back at them and say, right back at you, buddy. <laughs> Sometimes church people can be weird. And do you know why that is? Because we're supposed to be weird. We're not supposed to be the same as the rest of society. Because we are a distinct culture. We're a distinct people because we serve a God that has these totally different rules that just totally flips things upside down and does things totally different than the way we would do them. We even have our own language, Christianese. We say things like, have a blessed day. I'm feeling so blessed today. And it was funny, I went home a couple weekends ago to Calgary, and I kept saying blessed, blessed for different things. My brother's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, why do you keep saying blessed? What does that even mean anyhow? I'm just like, oh, you're right. I'm, have a good day. (laughs) We say things like grace. Even the word grace sometimes in our society isn't really understood. What exactly does grace mean? And, oh, come over to my house tonight, and we'll have some fellowship. It's kind of a weird one. Fellowship? 
I don't th I think my brother would be punching me by that point. <laughs> but being part of the church is important to our spiritual life and growth. And um, unfortunately, sometimes we feel this pressure to conform to the churchiness of church. You know what I'm talking about? I remember a time that it was probably, I think it was 2008, and I went to Vancouver on this uh, modular week through Van Van uh, Vanguard College, and we were there, and we were just kind of wearing regular street clothes. Actually, they're pretty dirty because we'd been doing some kind of dirty stuff, so we all had dirty jeans and filthy t-shirts, and, and we were walking down the street, and we saw that there was a service, and we were kind of in downtown east side, and I was really surprised because there's like total abstract poverty, and then you go one block, and it's like rich people driving BMWs and big high-rise, like really nice apartments. I was kind of like, this is kind of different, total contrast, but anyhow, we saw this sign for this church that said church service, 7 o'clock, and we're like, oh, well, why don't we go in? And I remember there was a group of three of us, and we went inside, and we kind of stood around. We weren't sure exactly where to go, what to do. And everybody was dressed up just to, like, the nines. Everyone's wearing a suit. Everyone's dressed so properly. And we're just standing looking at ourselves like, oh, my gosh. We're underdressed. I didn't know that the queen was coming. And so, anyhow, we kind of stood around for a little while. And a few people would kind of glance our direction. And, and you could kind of see them. And as soon as you'd kind of make eye contact, they'd look away and keep doing their conversations. And, and we went into the service. And... And you know what? I just had such a bad taste in my mouth because I just felt so underdressed. I felt out of place. And uh, I have no idea what that pastor preached on that day. And we got up and we left. We're standing on the foyer. We got ourselves some drinks. And once again, there were people kind of talking. You know, one came and approached us. And I began to realize, you know what? Is this what it's like to walk into churches being a non-churched person? Like, I remember when I was a kid, and I had never gone to church, and I walked in church. It was a totally different experience because I went to youth group. And youth group's not church. It's youth group. We have fun. The youth pastor says crazy things, sometimes inappropriate things. Shh, don't tell pastor. And it's just totally different. And I remember when I started going to church on Sunday, I kind of had this little gap because some of the terms that I started hearing at youth group, well, I could kind of make the connections, and I wasn't just totally cold turkey church. And, you know, we most definitely have a specific culture, but God's not looking for us to be perfect. God's not, the whole point of this Christian walk is not find a church and just try to fit in as much as you can. They're dressing up, so I'm going to dress up to the nines every day. I'll act like them, talk like them, speak like them. Have a blessed day, sir. And now I'm a Christian. It doesn't work that way. That that's not what the Christian life's about, but sometimes, I know even in my life, I've got cut up in that, where I thought, you know what, I need to act a certain way, do a certain thing, talk a certain way, or else I don't quite fit into this little private social club. But that's not what church is about at all. I'm so thankful that our church is nothing like that. We have such an amazing church. Who in here is wearing jeans right now? Woohoo! I love jeans. But, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, I was like, you know, it's, it's the common man clothing. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know exactly what Jesus' robes looked like when he came into humanity and was doing his ministry, but I think he was probably wearing, like, you know, pretty average Joe robe, maybe, I don't know. Not like gold garments and, you know, deca decked out, like, pip my robe, you know. That could be, like, Jesus' private TV show, you know. Be bad, but... 
Technologists would never do that. Titus 3, 5 to 7. He saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Christ Jesus, our Savior, did. He declared us not guilty because of his great kindness, and now we know that we will inherit eternal life. He saved us not because of the good works we did. Isn't that amazing news? That the things that we did before, the things that we do, are not what saves us, are not what qualifies us before God. That it's not living a perfect life. That it's okay to not be perfect. Is great news. Great news. Following Jesus is not about competency. Are there any incompetent people in here? I'm just joking. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm sure at some point, every single person in this room has felt incompetent in some area or another. And, you know, you go from this stage of being unconsciously incompetent, where you don't know that you don't know, to then all of a sudden you're consciously incompetent. Oh my gosh, I know I don't know. And then you become consciously competent. Eventually, has anyone driven their car to church this morning? You know how when you maybe first, the first time you ever got in a car, you're driving around and you're looking around and everything, you're just kind of a little nervous or, well, maybe some, not some of the guys. Some of the guys were screeching out of their driveways, but that wasn't me. I was quite cautious. I was driving with my mother. And, oh, you got to drive cautious when you're driving with my mother. And, uh, and, but it wasn't long before I was driving and all of a sudden, you know, I'd get in my car, I'd drive somewhere, and it's like, how did I even get there? It just becomes so automatic. And church, sometimes... Our Christian spiritual lives can kind of be like that. Where all of a sudden, you know, a year or two goes by and, and, you know, you're driving through this spiritual journey at church. And all of a sudden you sit there one day and you're like, how did I get here? And church, it's okay. If that's where, you, if, if that's where you're at right now, you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? But it's not, it's not about competency. You know, sometimes I think people hold back and they don't, you know, share their faith with people. They feel intimidated to really step out and do big, courageous things because they don't feel that they're competent enough. Is there somebody here that feels, you know, maybe apprehensive about sharing your faith because you don't feel like you know enough Bible? Is there somebody in here that's like, you know what, I'd love to step up at church and maybe serve in some area but, you know, like, I just don't quite have my whole life together yet. You know, once, once I'm more perfect, once I've got these things sorted out, then maybe God could use me somewhere in the church. You see, God's not looking for perfect, competent people that know everything about the Bible, that know everything there is to know about the spiritual life before he can use them. You know, and I, and I, was, reading, I was reading the story in Acts 9, of Saul recently. And Saul was somebody who despised Christians, and he saw Christianity as basically a total attack on, I guess, on their church and their faith. And, and he had been given permission from the high priest to go out and to arrest anybody in Damascus who was a Christian. And he set out to Damascus, and as he was traveling, he was approaching Damascus, the Bible says, a sudden light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The man who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing of the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was there for three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So here's Saul, and he's blind. He just had this encounter with God, and he's blinded. And, uh, and then there's this guy named Ananias. You know, he's hanging out in Damascus doing his own thing. And then the Lord says to him, get up and go to, the straight, go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. For he had a vision of a man named Ananias who came and laid hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And this is, how the God, this is how God responds to him. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Did you know that you guys are chosen? That God has a plan? And his plan is you? And here's Saul, who's totally out there persecuting Christians like crazy. People were terrified of this man. And now God has just told Ananias to go to him and heal him because God wants to use him. And God wants to um, see Saul come into the kingdom and do mighty things for the kingdom of God. And so, of course, Ananias, he does go and he meets Saul. And sure enough, Saul is, is healed and... Uh, he regains his strength. He's baptized right away, and he eats, and he stays in Damascus for a couple days. And then right after that, the Bible says, now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. When I was reading that, I was thinking, whoa, 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 who is Saul to be standing up in the synagogue preaching Jesus is the Son of God? And they looked in the mirror. said, whoa who is this handsome lad that he would uh, be able to stand up in front of the church and proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. And I began to realize that I'm not qualified because of my actions, what I do. I'm not qualified because I chose to find employment at a church. I'm not qualified because I'm perfect or because I'm so dashingly Short, stout, and handsome. That's not qualifies me. That's not what, when God sees of me and says, you know what, you are qualified to do my work because you work at the church. It's not that at all. It's not that at all. I'm qualified because of what Jesus did for me. I'm qualified because God, by his great love, Mercy and grace, by his kindness, died for me and offered me eternal life, a gift, which at the age of 14, I received. You see, following Jesus is not about perfection. You know what? There's a story about a little boy and he was walking home from school one day, 
and he happened to walk by the pet store. And he was walking by the pet store. He saw some puppies in the main, in the main, pink, main glass window, and he was just looking up at them, and he just fell in love. He knew that he was destined to have a puppy. So this boy ran home and said, Mom, Mom, you won't believe it. They got puppies at the pet store. She's like, oh, that's great, son. And he's like, I know what our family is missing. We need a dog. The mom just looked at him and said, you know what? We do not need a dog. We are busy, and we don't have time for a dog. I do not have time to feed, walk, and clean, and take after a dog. And the boy said, no problem, Mom. I've got it all figured out. I will walk the dog. I will clean up his poop. I will feed it. You'll not even know that we have a dog. Who knows that that's... I played that card, and I failed on that promise, let me tell you. The boy even went as far as to teach you know what? I've been saving up my allowance, and if you would just forward me one more week, I could pay for it with my own money. And this boy just all night went on and on and on and on and on. And finally, when the father came home, you know, the mother's like, I'm just exasperated. Tell your son we're not getting a dog. And as the boy just started talking to his dad, all of a sudden the dad started thinking, hmm, maybe a dog wouldn't be so bad. You know, I always wanted a dog when I grew up, but, you know, the misfortune of my life, no dog. I was the only boy without a dog when I was growing up. So he, you know, decided, you know, we do need a dog. And so he played his trump card that day, and they ended up getting a dog. But what happened was they gave the money to the boy. The boy ran to the pet store, and he showed the money to the pet keeper. As soon as the lady saw that he had the money, she knew he was serious, and she said, there's the display. Pick which one you want. So the boy went up to the display, and he's looking at the dogs, and there's one dog biting the other dog's ear, and the other one's yapping in the corner and chasing his tail, and he's like, ooh, which one do I want? And all of a sudden, he sees one little dog sitting in the corner by himself, laying down just and his eyes locked to this little dog. The boy instantly fell in love with this dog. It seems like that's how it happens. You go to get your dog, and there's just the one, and your eyes lock, and you just know that's the one. If you have a dog, and you've gone to get it as a puppy, you know exactly what I mean. And he said, I want that one. The the storekeeper went, oh, oh, that one. You don't want that one. That one came out crooked. You know, he had some issues at birth. He's the smallest, and and he's crippled. Like, he he can hardly walk. Uh, any one of these other dogs would be a good choice. The boy, you know, didn't even take his eye off that little dog in the corner. He'd already fallen in love and said, no, I want that one. The shopkeeper said, you know what? Look at all these other dogs. Look how energetic they are. I can tell you're, you know, an adventurous young lad. You need, you need a dog that you can play catch with. You need a dog that will run around and play games. And, and any one of these other dogs would be a good choice for you. The boy just kept looking at the dog and finally was exasperated and said, I want that one. Again, the shopkeeper kept trying to argue with him, and finally the boy just lifted up his leg and revealed a metal rod that ran from his knee to his foot, which was also a prosthetic. The boy pointed back at the dog in the corner and said, I want that one. Sure enough, he got that one. You see, the very thing that disqualified that dog from being a good choice was his crippledness. That dog was messed up. That dog had problems. He wasn't as good looking as all the other ones. But funny enough, the very thing that disqualified him in the eye of the shopkeeper is the very thing that qualified him in the eyes of the little boy. And you right now may be sitting in this room thinking, Pastor Mark, you have no idea what I've done. Pastor Mark, you don't know what my life looks like. 
I'm broken, I'm bruised, I'm damaged goods. But funny enough, when Jesus came, he didn't come for the healthy and the good looking. The Bible says that who needs a doctor? The sick, not the healthy. And those very things that you see in your life, those deep secrets that nobody else maybe even knows about, that you feel disqualify you from the things of God, serving God with all you have, I want to tell you right now, that's a load. Because when God looks at you, those very things that you think disqualify you are what qualifies you in the eyes of God. He's not looking for somebody who's perfect, who has everything together. He's looking for men and women who first and foremost love him, love others, and just be open to the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants. And the Christian life following Jesus is not about your competency to be able to serve him well. It's kind of funny. It's all backwards the kingdom of God. The Bible says that those who are weak he'll make strong. You know, sometimes some of the people, you know, that I've met through different Bible colleges and things, there's some really talented people. But I'll tell you what, God's not always looking for the most talented person. Because when you're really, really talented, whether it's musically or speaking or doing different things, it's very easy to get by through your gifting and not depend on God. But when somebody goes out of their comfort zone, allows God, is obedient to God when he asks them to, step out in an area that he doesn't know very well, that maybe makes him uncomfortable, that's when God can show up and people will say, I know that wasn't Mark, because Mark could never do that. You know, my mom is a house cleaner, and she's cleaned houses ever since my younger brother and I were in school, and she's done it for a lot of years now. And in the summer times, I would go and clean houses with her. I remember one particular house I went to, and we walked into this house, and it was spotless. I could see the lines on the carpet where the lady had just vacuumed before we got there. And I went up to the bureau, and I'm like... You know, way at the top, a high shelf somewhere, and did one of those, not a speck of dust. I'm like, Mom, there's something wrong. This house has already been cleaned. She's like, there's nothing wrong here, son. She's unloading the dish, you know, the the vacuum. And I'm like, I don't get it. She's like, well, yeah, these people always clean their house before I come. And I'm like, what? You're telling me that people clean their house, and then they hire you to come in and clean a clean house? And she's like, well, yeah, they don't want me to think that they're messy, and she flicks on the vacuum and starts vacuuming. She's like, this is a very easy clean for me. <laughs> she starts cleaning, and I'm like, how many people are like this? If you're one of these people, don't raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. We have counseling for these sort of things. No, but I'm just like, this makes no sense. Why hire a house cleaner if you're going to clean your house and do it before they come? And what I found out afterwards was about a third of my mom's clients do the exact same thing. A third. To me, it just seemed insane. I'm like, what? Like, this is a business I could get into. I'll just pick my clients carefully. God is not looking for perfection. God's not looking around looking for a clean house. Because when you meet God, something amazing happens. In the Bible, there's a story about a leper in Matthew. The leper fell before Jesus and said, Jesus, if you want to, you could make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the unclean man. Normally what would happen if somebody unclean came in contact with a clean person was the unclean person would make the clean person unclean. 
But something amazing happened this time. When Jesus touched the unclean man, the unclean man became clean. The first time that had ever happened. You see, the dirtiness, that messiness in your life, the dirt that you put under your rug, the thing that you think disqualifies you, Jesus is looking at and saying, I want to make it clean. If you don't have a clean house in your heart, God wants to make it clean. Don't try to clean your house before the cleaner comes. Allow the house cleaner to do it for you because that's what he wants to do. That's his job, not yours. When you come to him and say, God, I need to be cleaned up. I can see there's mess in my life. Because if you wait until you're perfect, you'll be waiting a very, very long time. It'll never happen. And the plans that God has for you, I don't know how that works. There's my little picture of the cleaning lady. My mom doesn't look like that. Nothing like that. But church, following Jesus is not about your competency. It's not about a formula. And it's not about being perfect. It's about being open. It's about pursuing God with all you have. And there's a quote that I wanted to read you from a book, funny enough, called Messy Spirituality by Michael Iaconelli. And it says this, accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality, not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God, the one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God's being present in the mess of our unfixedness. See, God is not looking for you to be perfect before he's going to show up. Sometimes the most messed up situations is where God is the, his presence is the most powerful. Church, if you've, if you've been coming here for a while and you've been feeling like, you know what, I can't serve here yet because I've got to figure these things out in my life first. I've got to get it all together. I'll tell you, that's not necessarily true. There's always something that you can do to serve and to love on people. And church, I just want to encourage you this morning that if you feel unworthy, that if you feel unqualified, if you feel like you don't have what it takes to serve God here at Cold Lake Community Church, I want to tell you that you do. Because if you've given your heart to the Lord, God's given everything to you, and you have the God living inside of you. And through his grace, we become perfect in his eyes. And we can live a sinless life. But we are going to screw up sometimes. Like, through the grace of God, through his, when we die one day, he'll look at us and all our, all our sins will be gone because we depended on him. He's not going to hold those things against us if we choose to love him and love others and read his word. And, and it's not about doing those things, but it's about knowing God. And the more we begin to know God, the more we desire to do those things, and the more those things just become part of who we are. And I know when I first came to God and first, you know, saw this huge book that I'm like, how am I ever going to read this? I can't even get through, like, a short story in English class that's two pages long. And I thought, you know what, if, I was, if, if I'm going to be a good Christian, i got to read this all the time so much. And i got to tell you, it's grown on me. At first, it was a really hard book to get into. 
And I don't know why that was. I think it's just because, you know, the enemy's just, you know, just trying to distract you. The enemy doesn't want you to read this. The enemy doesn't want you to walk in fullness and in life. So he'll set up every distraction possible to prevent you from reading this, being able to understand this. But I began to learn that when I begin to surround myself around people who love God, come to a place like this, come to church, and grow in relationship with people that know God better than I do, and say, help me out, I, I don't understand this, will you teach me? Then an amazing thing happens, all of a sudden this desire grows to want to know God, to want to read his word. And all of a sudden the things that I used to struggle with no longer aren't as much of a struggle. Some things every day still are a struggle, but I know that God is working through me, that I'm a work in progress. And those things that you're struggling with, you know what, the best thing to do is, is find somebody at the church that you can meet with and get prayer for it. And stand on his word and, and be in community. Don't keep those things secret and buried in your life. Because light dispels darkness. And, and there's healing. Jesus is the divine healer. And he's not looking for, for, for perfection. But he's looking for our hearts. Well, Father, I just thank you this morning, Lord God. I thank you for... Lord, for who you are. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that, God, that you did everything. Lord, that it's finished. Lord, that I don't have to earn my way for my salvation, God, but that you give it freely. God, you give it freely. Lord, I thank you for your presence. And God, I just pray that as we go on this week, Lord, that we would, just like that song that we sang, Lord, that we would know your presence more and more and more this week. God, that we sense you in our lives every day. Lord God, I just thank you. Lord God, for this amazing church. God, for community, for your church in Cold Lake and your church around the world. God, I thank you that your church is growing, Lord, and that there's always a place where we can go anywhere in the world and be with family. God, I just pray that the rest of our church that's not with us is having a wonderful Canada Day and that the rest of our afternoon would be just be a great time to be with friends and family. We'd have a wonderful Canada Day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.